0: All right, fantastic. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. Don't feel weird about it. We like you guys to follow along. There we go. Good job. Uh, Over here as well. Uh, Get your Bibles. Follow along with us. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Please keep this. Take it home. Read it. Love it. Share it and the whole deal. Okay? Turn to Mark 1, verse 35. Now, here's where we've been. Uh, if, if you were here last week, Wes Little was in town. Pastor Wes, good buddy of mine. He's from Redemption, Alhambra Village down in the valley. Uh, great guy. We kind of joked. If you were here, he joked about how he's, uh, you know, we're kind of Asian brothers, right? And and the funny joke was, uh, you would look at both of us and not think Asian, right? He is. He looks black. He's 75% black, and then 25% Asian. And then I'm, uh, I'm. 50% Irish and 50% Vietnamese, but most people assume that I'm Mexican just because we're in Arizona, right? And you're all racist. And so, uh, no, but that's so, this, he was an incredible guy. If you missed last week, though, and you've missed a couple weeks in Mark, I just want to say this it is a great sermon to listen to. Because he literally took the first 20 minutes of his time. And I said, hey, man, you get about 40 minutes, you know. I said he took the first, like, half of his time and just recapped the first three weeks of the series. So if you've missed it, any part where we're at in the book of Mark, go back and listen to this last Sunday sermon. West did a phenomenal job. It was, it was really, really good, okay? Where he landed was talking about the authority of Jesus, right? that Christ has authority over the masses. Okay, So when you look around, everyone is sub- in submission to Christ, whether they realize it or not, the masses. right? Also submission by the wise, that even the smartest, the, the greatest intellect in the day, they have to submit to Jesus. And then lastly, his, our, our Christ's people, us, the church, we must submit to Jesus. And so he does this through proving himself through miracles, through teaching, and through the engagement of his life into the world. Okay? And so people are like, man, what what's what's this guy all about? And so everybody at this point wants a piece of Jesus. They want to learn from him. They want to get close to him. They want to be near him. And so we pick up today in verse 35. Is Christ in this moment where he's just coming out of this time where everyone is clamoring for him? Like the cat's out of the bag. Jesus is now famous in the region People know, man, this is the guy who's casting out demons, who's healing people. This guy's the real deal. Let's go and see. And so all of these people are trying to find Jesus. It got me thinking this week that if Jesus were still, well, he's alive, but if he was alive and in Flagstaff, right, and he were to walk in the back room, I began thinking, well, what would my response be? Like, what, what would happen if, if Jesus Christ was walking around in Flagstaff, decided to come visit Redemption Church? What would be my response, and what would be the response of our church? Like, what would we do? And I thought about different things, and then, and then I remembered this clip that I watched, and, and Jessica, you're going to love this, but I saw a clip of The Bachelor, and uh, regret it immediately. Um, but I watched a clip of The Bachelor that someone had posted on Facebook, and I guess in this most previous episode, the, the guy, uh, his name is Chris, and he's a farmer, and uh, he's from Iowa. And so in the show, he goes back, and he visits these viewing parties in this episode. right? And apparently a viewing party, it's like, when I, I get it, like we did it for Lost. And Arrested Development and other good shows. We did that back in the day, right? And so you get together. So we're all going to watch this together. And what happens is Chris is, he goes and he crashes these viewing parties. He comes in kind of secretly with camera crews. And, and what do you think happens? Right? Screaming, right? Lots and lots of high-pitched screaming is what happens. All of these women, and and some men screaming louder than the women. I mean, it was unbelievable. Just yelling, oh my gosh, it's Chris! And they embrace him and hug him and greet him and love him and show all of this affection. They're this guy. And I I remember seeing that, and I remember thinking, what would my response be if Christ walked in? Because the reality is is that our response to what we would do when Jesus walks in the door is directly related to how you view the gospel. I think the reality is, and I thought about this in my own life, that if Christ were to walk in the door, part of me, part of me fears that I would shrink back and kind of like, I don't know, what did I do today? Right? I would kind of think to myself, like, well, how, did I sin a lot today? Because if so, he, he saw it, he's Jesus. And so do I really want to go greet the guy that I just disobeyed? And I begin to think, okay, okay what? Well, would I just literally run the other direction? And listen, that might be the story for some of you here today. Right now, you're just really angry with God. God's taken something from you you didn't think He should have taken. You're frustrated, you're upset, you're saying, you know what, God, no thanks, man. And so He would come in, and, and you know what, you wouldn't even just kind of wait and see, you would actually walk the other direction and say, Jesus, you know what, not right now, because we're just not vibing. Okay. What, what would be the response? Would it be, and I, again, I'm thinking through this thing, this show, will we run to Jesus? Will we embrace Jesus? Because here's what the Gospel says. The Gospel says, regardless of whether or not you are in sin, what you've done today, what you did in the last minute, the Gospel, the cross of Christ, that blood covers it, it is shed for you, you embrace Him as Savior. Whether or not today something has been taken from you, guess what? God lost and gave up His only Son for your sake, that you would be redeemed and saved, and it will be restored ultimately the other side of this world. Okay. What we view about the gospel directly would relate with how we would run to Jesus. What would happen when he came in the door? Okay. Now, we have a few sayings here at Redemption Church, you know, slogans that shape culture. right? Things that, you know, in a group, you always say this certain thing to each other, and it shapes your little group of people. I'll give you a few. Like, uh... Like if I were to say, "May the Force be with you," Who, what movie? Star Wars. Okay, good Christians, great. If I were to say, this one's tougher, "Strength and Honor." Gladiator. Gladiator. There's a couple of you. Okay, only less Christians. Okay. This this is another one. How about this one's a little bit humorous? But if you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby, right? So in other words, you get it. There's, there's these slogans, right? And so his dad tells that to Ricky Bobby and that shapes and forms his entire worldview. Right? He's like, well, I'm not first, then I'm last. So then he does reckless things to always be first, right? We have a couple here at the church. One you always see, we even have a t-shirt of it, it says, all of life is all for Jesus. Right? That everything you do whether you think it's important or not, minuscule, whatever, huge. If it's at work in the marketplace or it's in class at NAU or a different university or if it's here on, at church on Sunday. Whatever you do, however you do it, it is all done for Jesus and through Jesus, by Jesus. Okay? There's one also that we, we have printed on everything we do but we talk about a little bit less. Okay? And it's this, it's gospel-centered and outward-focused. That as we came together as Redemption Church, we began to say, okay, what are some of these cultural statements we want to form and shape who we are? And this one rose to the top. We want to be gospel-centered and we want to be outward-focused. In other words, what do we believe about the gospel? What is true about the story of God? Whatever is true about it, we want to be true about the way our hearts continuously, every day and every moment, reflect and live in light of that. That gospel story. We want to be gospel-centered so that we can be outward-focused. Because if you try and be outward-focused without being gospel-centered, it does not work. You will get tired. You will stop seeing the point. I cannot tell you the continuous humanitarian efforts that exist, not just here in Flagstaff, but around the world, that have begun with a great idea, but have fallen short because they were done out of a motive that did not have to do anything with Jesus and the gospel. That doesn't mean we don't fail, but I'm telling you the success rate is significantly higher when we realize we live in light of the gospel story. So that when Christ walks in this door, if you're able to get up out of your chair, you run and embrace him regardless of sin, regardless of hurt, regardless of brokenness. If you can do that, I guarantee you the outward focus part of your life, which Christ will get to, will look vastly different than if you don't. What we understand about the gospel directly impacts how we embrace Jesus and how we live out the commands that he gives us. Okay? And so what we see in this passage today is an incredible example of Jesus Christ our Savior, the one with whom we emulate our life, being incredibly centered on the gospel, on God. And then he goes and he is outward focused in the preaching of God's word. Okay? So let's look at it. Mark 1, verse 35. Let's get going. Rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now this is one of three times in the entire book of Mark that you will see Jesus pray. And every time he does it in a solitary place. Every time Jesus retreats to go and spend time in prayer. At least that's what we have in Mark. That doesn't mean he didn't pray other times, but what we have, what Mark documents for us, is three times of Christ praying every time he prays solitarily. Right? He gets away. He finds a desolate place, a place without distraction. He also prays at night in all of those instances. It's dark out, and I don't necessarily know why. Outside of, I think, there was so much stuff happening around him. He had people clamoring for him at all times. That The only time he could get away where people didn't want him was when they were sleeping. Right? That's the only chance he had. And so what, what's being emphasized here is in the midst of everyone searching for Jesus, all of this work that God has just done, Christ says, okay, you know what? Before I let this go to my head, before I begin thinking this is about my mission and not the Father's mission, let me step back, retreat, get into a place and get into an area where I can be by myself secluded with the Lord and consult Him, be at His feet and allow my mind to be reoriented to the mission of God. Gospel-centered. I tried to put myself in his own shoes. Like if I did a bunch of spectacular things in the city, like okay, if I walked out and there were just a bunch of people uh, you know, just uh, filled with demons in our city and I began casting out demons and then there were, there were blind and there were lepers and, all that, and I just began healing people, it would create a buzz, would be my guess. And if people came to me and they started looking for me, I just thought, what would my heart be craving? And I immediately realized it was a whole lot of things about my status and my glory and my gain. We just, oh man, like, let's, how do I scheme this to benefit me? And so listen, Jesus was not without temptation, y'all. Okay, it doesn't mean he ever sinned, but but I imagine the temptation was there for him to embrace this fame and say, okay, I'm here, I'm done, I'm going to do it my way. God, I know you say, wait. And your time will come, but I think, it's, I think it's here. Like, it just seems good. Everyone wants me. We're going to do this. Everyone will get converted. It'll be fantastic. God, this is the way we're going to do it. No. He says, I, I could go that direction. But instead, let me go, let me go spend time with my father. Let me, let me go think about what God cares about. Let me reorient my mind around the gospel, around the story that God is crafting. And so in everything, whatever thing you walk in here today and and whatever part of life is just on you right now, whether it's this, this pull to fame or it's this pull to despair, whatever aspect, I guarantee you the number one thing you need to do is you need to run to Jesus. You need to sit in the light of the gospel that says you are set free and forgiven. A gospel story that says this is just temporary, this is but a fleeting moment in light of eternity, that there is a restoration that is to come. A gospel that says that there is a Savior who has died for you, that not only has He died for you, but He lived in this world and was tempted in every way that you've ever been tempted, and He just did well. And He died for you. He stepped in your place. That gospel story, wherever you're at today, whatever you bring in, whatever baggage you might have, go to Jesus, run to Jesus. That's, that's what this is saying. Jesus is a very gospel-centered person. Okay. Now, I want to talk a little bit about solitude. I just want to read this quote to you, and it's, and it's by this guy Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he's one of those just dead amazing guys, right? I mean, just it just shapes Christian culture in tremendous ways. And he has this quote about solitude that I think is just kind of a lost art, a lost discipline in our world today. And he says this, "'There are times when solitude is better than society, and silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone.'" waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? It's because they neglect their closets. They do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat but they do not grind it. They would have the corn but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon a tree but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet but they will not stoop to drink it. O Lord, from such folly, please deliver us. Dang, guys. That dude's a thought-out prophet right there. It is so easy to just make this time, and every time you open up the Word of God, it's easy to just make it something you do and not something that can transform. And a lot of it has to do with how you're approaching it. Do you just sit here so you can get through this 40-minute sermon and the other 40 minutes of singing and the 10 minutes of community or whatever we have set up? Is it just to check it off the box? Or do you show up each and every Sunday fully expectant of a God who actually cares about transforming your life? And because He cares, He will do it. That He will renew your heart. He will transform your mind. He will make you more like Jesus. Is that something you expect to happen when you show up here? Is this something you expect to happen when you open the Word of God? It should be. It should be for us. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and it's active and it's changing and it's moving and it's shaping. I think so much, we're just so caught up, and we just got to, let me get through it, and then I'm going to go do this. And we check off the box, and we just miss out the aspect that God wants to actually use this time intentionally in your life. I think if we bought into that, this whole discipline of solitude, man, I, I think we wouldn't stop doing it. Like, it, we'd have to, I'd have to preach a sermon in, like, next week that says, hey, stop just going to be alone with Jesus. Right? Like I'd probably have to tell you to stop doing that because you would enjoy it so much God would be renewing you so much reminding you of the gospel so much you'd be doing it so much I'd say, listen, stop you've got to also go you also need to be outward focused but I think we're missing this front end and so we constantly are talking about what do we do to love the city of Flagstaff more how, how can I tell my non-Christian friend about the gospel of Christ and the problem is, is we have all these lofty great ideas that we think we're supposed to do but we don't even love the gospel that much ourselves that's a terrifying terrifying concept. So how do we embrace it? And it? Listen, it's slowing down. It's slowing down. It's trying to get some of the other stories that are competing for your time, the distractions that are competing for your time, step away from those, be in the presence of God, and just listen and just talk and meditate on His Word that your heart will be reoriented to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. We've got to see that. Jesus did it. And so must we. Verse 36, let's keep going. We'll see how Jesus was gospel center, but the disciples, not so much. It says this, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, at, at first glance, this seems like a pretty good thing, right? Everyone's searching. Everyone wants to get a piece of it, okay? But then when you look into this looking for, these two words, they don't mean like, oh, I'm just trying to find him that it's used ten other times in the book of Mark, and every single time these words looking for is used in the book of Mark, it's always, listen, always in a negative context. It's always used to denote not submission and following, but rather control and domination. So what, Paul's, what Mark's trying to communicate, is not that everyone was trying to find Jesus because they wanted to follow him and be his disciple. Instead, what he says, no, they were trying to find him because they wanted to get a piece of what he was given out. They wanted to gain off of what he was doing. They wanted to control the Son of God and not follow the Son of God. And if there is not a greater indictment upon the Western church than that, I don't know what it is. We so badly just want God and and we want Jesus to do the things we want him to do. To speak into the areas of life we want him to speak into. But it doesn't work like that. If you follow Jesus, you follow all of Jesus. He speaks into every aspect of your life. He commands every aspect of your life. And when you just want it to be parts, listen, you're trying to control him, dominate him, and instead of allowing him to control your life, follow him as he leads you. And this is what's happened in the text. These these early followers, they're, they're, they're not followers, right? They're, they're literally just trying to get a piece of Jesus right now. And the saddest part of this is the guys that we just saw two weeks ago respond in such faith are part of this same crowd. (laughs) Right? Peter, James, John. These guys, I mean, the guys who were going to be like the three closest guys to Jesus just called in such faith they went and now they're already saying, hey, but what about this? What about that? What if we tried this, Jesus? Everyone wants a piece of you. You need to capitalize on what just happened. Do you understand the fame that you will get right now? And I will be right next to you the whole time. And so honestly, this happens all the time in our culture. We just try and capitalize on Christ. You hear it a lot of time, just in great culture in the masses, right? Where, well, you know what? Like Jesus, he's not you know, the son of God. I'm not going to buy into everything. He says, but you know what? He's a great moral teacher. Right, you get that quite a bit. You guys remember the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt craze? Who bought one? Be honest. It's okay. There's, there's forgiveness. Okay, there's a couple. So you have the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt thing. And it literally was just a picture of Jesus and said, Jesus is my homeboy across the front, right? And I was like, oh, you know, whatever, that's fine. But I remember talking to a guy in San Diego. I said, that's awesome, man. Like, I'm thinking, like, dude, so where do you go to church? He's like, I don't know, I don't go to church. I'm like, well, how's he your homeboy? Like, what, like, that doesn't seem to add up. He goes, oh, no, 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 man. Like, he's just like, we're cool, Jesus and I. Um, you know, like, he's got some good stuff to say. And so, like, we're, we're cool like that. I said, oh, you're cool like that with, with God he says, yeah. And it just struck me as such like, wait a minute. What, what Jesus are you studying in the Bible? Well, that's all he says. What Christ are you following? And that's the question for us today. What Christ are you following? Are you following one that you've put together? That you've allowed to make sense for your life? Or are you following the Jesus of the gospel? The one that calls us to... A lot of stuff that doesn't sound all that great, but man, is there a greater purpose and a greater calling, a greater joy to be found. Okay, What Jesus are we following? And so these guys, they find him, right? says that they, everyone's looking for you. We found you, so that's good. And they just don't realize that in the midst of this, the whole time Jesus is probably thinking like, listen, man, you're missing it. You're missing it, guys. Why are you here to follow me? I mean, is it just that you can get a piece of me? And if it is, then this isn't what this isn't what I'm here for. And then in verse thirty-seven, sorry, verse thirty-eight, sorry, he's going to show us just what he's here for. Okay, he says this, and he said to them, "Let us go on to the next towns so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out." And so Jesus again goes back into his solitary moment, reorients his mind with the mission of God comes out of that moment, engages his disciples and says, listen, you want to know why I'm here? It's to preach. It's to tell people of the kingdom of God. It's to call people to repentance. It's to call people to forgiveness. It's to call people to a gospel of grace and of love and a rescue mission that began thousands and thousands of years ago. That's what he's here for. And so you often hear, right? You often hear this amidst culture, amidst people saying, you know what? Jesus, but Jesus wasn't, he didn't like preach at people, right? You, you hear that a lot. It's like, well, no, 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 what, I, I hate how you guys just preach at me. Keep, Jesus didn't do that. It's like, yes, he did. He's literally saying, this is why I came, was to preach, was to tell people about the good news. And so as people that long to be and live gospel-centered, outward-focused lives, then we too are called to preach. In word and deed, through proclamation and demonstration, we are called to live lives that preach the gospel to the watching world. Okay. That's why the gospel piece is so important, because God doesn't just let us sit there. He actually says, you know what? Well, I'm going to charge you up so I can send you out. And so we can't have one without the other, but we certainly must go. We certainly must be outward focused in our lives. And I'll tell you what, man, it is an easy thing. It is an easy thing to just be a Christian and keep it to yourself for your entire life. It is, it is by far the easier thing to do in this world. And, and I get it, man. There are tons of excuses. And some of them are pretty legitimate. I mean, no one wants to feel weird, Right? No one wants to be that awkward guy that brings up Jesus in the midst of a conversation about sports or Bachelor or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, did you see Bachelor? Did you see Jesus? Right? <laughs> no one wants to be that guy. I get it. But we have to wrestle with this reality of, the G- of to follow Christ means that we preach the gospel. And so if you don't, what Jesus are you following this morning? Gosh, that's harsh to think about. If you're not living and demonstrating, and let me, this does not mean you don't screw up, you don't fail, you don't say the wrong thing, you don't sin every single day. I mean, that's all part of this equation. okay? But there's forgiveness, there's grace because of the cross. But, but if, if you claim to follow Christ, if you claim to be centered around the gospel truths, there is no context for your faith that does not include you sharing it. That does not include you preaching it. Now, that's through a word and deed. I mean, use your mouth, use your body, use whatever is at your disposal to tell people about this good news. Okay. And so Christ goes out and he preaches, and, and, and here's one of the things I wanna I wanna highlight is it's one of the excuses I often hear is like, Well, that's just not me, right? That's just not me. Like I, I don't feel comfortable. When I'm an introvert, whatever it is. Okay, and, and so I did some research, and I looked up, and I just did a little Google search, and Google's always right. And so, uh, and it's, I, I looked up, what was Jesus Christ Myers Briggs, right? Yes. Emily's excited. Okay, uh, what was Jesus Christ Myers Briggs? And two, it was always two. Only two of them came up. Okay, it was INFJ or ENFJ. Okay, if anyone knows, is anyone here an ENFJ? A few of those. Anyone in INFJ? Anybody know? Okay. So, potentially, you guys are like Jesus. Okay. Just in personality type. And this is just going off the of scripture and whatever people could... And it was kind of interesting to read. And what was weird is I was just reading through these things. And this, okay, if this was based on Jesus' personality, for example, if he's an introvert, okay, that him going out and saying to... Like, okay, I'm going to go and just preach. I'm here to preach. Then he's doing something contrary to his personality type. Right? If he was a total extrovert, always you had to be around people. He's doing something contrary by getting away consistently to spend time with God. In other words, as we look at Christ and as we are to emulate him, there is no personality type that keeps you from doing things that God has said will be beneficial for your life. And so don't, don't let that be a thing for you. Right? And so then I coined that Jesus was truly an E-I-S-N-T-F-J-P. Okay. <laughs> He just touches it all. His obedience to these things. And here's why. Okay, Here's why. Because Jesus believed the gospel. Okay. Now Jesus is the center of the gospel. I get that he's the climax of the gospel story himself. But he believed in this story that God the Father was writing for the redemption of all the world. He trusted his father that this was the best way to do it. He believed in his father that said, okay, you want to do this life right, the way that I'm calling you, then these are the things that need to line up. And so he bought in. He was fully gospel-centered. He was on mission for the sake of your life and my life, and for the lives of every animal, for the breath of every plant, and for the restoration of every piece of creation. Okay. Christ was ultimately the most gospel-centered man ever. Okay. And it's because of that we see the incredible works that he was able to live out. I often just think, man, if he had any doubts, if he had any doubts about the Father, if he had any doubts about, man, is this, is this the way to go, right? You know, like what what if he's just like, what if if in the garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying, he decides to go the other direction? Like, what what if in the garden, when he says, "God, would this cup pass for me?" He says, "You know what, God? I I don't know if I really believe you on this one. And so I'm going to do it my own way, and I'll figure it out as I go." What if he didn't do that, and then he wasn't crucified for the sins of mankind a few days later? Man, he was obedient. And this passage then becomes a call to obedience for us. That we would know and love the gospel. And that then we would go and tell the world about it because it's just that good. That we would preach because Christ preached. And I'll tell you, if we're not willing to do that, hear me, just ask yourself this question. What Jesus am I following? And if it's not the Jesus of Scripture, there needs to be some raining in on some of the things that you think and do okay and the last thing i want to land with is this that is an intense call and very scary and like i said if jesus walked in the door right now you know i i don't know what i'd do i'd be running through my mind what happened today would i would i get the gospel would i go and embrace him You know, and Sundays are my all-star day. Like if I'm like super Christian, it's today, right? I mean, I get up, pray for the church, pray for you guys to come, come here, preach the word of God, sing worship songs. I mean, Sundays are the all-star day for the church usually. But I'd still be like, I don't know. And so a lot of this, I want us to sit in the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Word of God that we are to be focused and centered on the right Christ, the right gospel, and we are supposed to go and preach, but I don't want us to leave thinking that any part of doing that really, really well or not that well has anything to do with your faith and your belief in the covering of Jesus Christ for your sins. In other words, if you're more obedient to this, God's not going to love you more. He's not going to save you more. If you're kind of disobedient in this, God's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to unsave you. <coughs> the gospel is about a man who lived the life we could never live, and then he died the death in your place that we all deserve to die. And then he rose three days later. He rose from the dead three days later. The power of God. He rose from the dead three days We've all lost loved ones. Three days later, they came back to life. You'd be, you'd be thinking about some stuff, right? He rose from the dead showing his power so that in that, in faith in him, hear me, in faith in him, in belief in him, you would be saved. That his death, his punishment, would be yours. He takes that, puts it on him, and then his righteousness, his goodness, his perfect life, his resurrection, his new life would be given to you. That is sealed for the follower of Christ. Okay. You are his. Okay. So, this morning I want us to leave with a sharp desire to get away, to spend time with God and then to use that motivation to go and tell people in the city of Flagstaff about the name of Jesus. I don't care how you do it. If you're still at the point where you just need to bring them here so that, you know, the big Mexican guy can yell at them, I mean, that's fine too. You know, I don't care. Get the gospel into the lives of people in your life. Okay. Preach. But do so with a right understanding of what Christ has done for you. Okay. The truth is everyone in this story was seeking Christ and not always for a great reason. But the truth is that everyone in our world, regardless if they realize it or not, are truly seeking Christ. They just don't know it. They're seeking Jesus in the fact that they want an answer to all sorts of problems in our world. right? What is the answer to ISIS? What What is the answer to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? What is the answer to depression? What is the answer to homelessness and poverty? What is the answer? I mean, everyone is coming with something. God, what is the answer to this? And every single time, it's Jesus. Every single time, it's the gospel. Everyone in this world is looking for Christ. They just don't know it. They're chasing after and all sorts of things, ways to answer their own problems, and the answer the whole time is the gospel. Okay, That's the truth that we have. And so as you go out and as you preach, know this, that everyone is looking for the thing that you've found if you're here and you know Christ. And that is a bold statement, and some of you might be sitting there, if you're a non-Christian, you're just like, that's, a t- that's not true, it's just true. <laughs> the Bible is very clear on this fact. He is the answer to... All these all these things and so I want to pray for us. I want to encourage the Christians here to um, spend time I mean intentional time with God this week get away like tell tell your friends not tonight right get away, spend time with God, reorient your mind on the mission of God and and then go and preach, okay and then if you're here and you're you're not Christian, I'm gonna ask you as I pray that you would just ask yourself the question of Not just what kind of Jesus am I following, why am I not following this Jesus? If he is the answer, if the Bible is true, if this stuff is accurate, if he really did die for for me, if he did step in, he was the, the thing that I needed as the answer to all the questions I have in life, why am I not following? So let's do it now, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace again. Grace God, to be able to um, to be able to just be kind of just smacked upside the head with Your Word, God. I thank You for the conviction that You bring to me every time. God, at, le- at least every time I'm able to be honest with You, I confess at times, Lord, that I just uh, I don't want to hear it and just want to go and do my own way, and I choose to follow a different version of the Christ of the Bible. God, I pray, that, uh, I pray that you would bless our church and give us a clear, beautiful picture of the gospel story. I mean, just that the, the parts and the facets that we just don't get, and I'm sure there's aspects we never will, but Lord, that we would just know more about it. That it would sink deeper into our hearts, our minds, and our souls than ever before. God, we would see the one behind the story. You, Father, God. And how you are good and how you are sovereign how you are the author of all things Jesus would you give us that grace Holy Spirit would you convict us to, to follow you beyond these walls to not allow Sunday attendance to be the marker for following Christ allow it to be a life lived in response to the gospel that preaches the gospel in every possible way we can God, we, uh, we want to pray for our city. I want to pray for our state. I know we have visitors from around the state right now. Let's pray for the state of Arizona. God, and there are, there's, this, there's this big issues. And then, God, there's very small issues that happen daily in the lives of every citizen of this state. And, Lord, we pray that as they seek and they try and find how to best navigate this, that they would very quickly turn to you that they would see that You are the answer, You are the truth. That going to them, God, will bring hope and joy and peace. God, it may not fix the problem today, but it will fix the problem. And so God, just shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus today. And I pray for any of those that would be here today that, uh, that don't know Christ, that don't follow Him, and God I pray that there would be no more excuse. There would be no more barrier, no more deception. And God, they would be freed to just see the truth of the gospel and the power it has to answer all of their longings and all their desires. God, so would you shape us as Christians and would you motivate us as non? God we love you and we thank you. It's in your in your great name we pray. Amen.